The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. Hokie Hoops Pod is back together. Ed Williams here. I did the last one by myself right before the pick game, but Mike McDaniel hasn't been able to be on here in quite some time. So honestly, Mike, I'm just going to open this up and give you the floor and you can go on whatever rant or rave you want to go on to talk about this team. I know we've talked offline uh, in spurts after every game, but I would love for you to give the listeners your unfiltered uh, opinions on what has taken place since the last time you recorded with me. Yeah, it's been a couple, a couple of weeks. Um, Ed, let, let, for you know this, and I, I know a bunch of the listeners of this podcast know it, or you know, listen to my Hokey Hangover podcast and know this. I am the father of a seven-month-old son named Noah. He's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, he does not sleep though. Last night I got three hours of sleep, and that was the second worst thing that happened to me last night. The first was watching Virginia Tech lose again to Miami. Right, so. Last night was particularly frustrating, and, and I, I know we'll get into the game. Last night was particularly frustrating because for the second time when Virginia Tech played Miami, I thought the Tech had a chance to win, right? And there were just like little things that happened down the stretch of the game that didn't go Virginia Tech's way in terms of not getting a rebound, not getting a defensive stop, like not converting on a timely offensive possession. Like that's kind of been the one consistent all year is Virginia Tech hasn't been able to consistently capitalize, right? So that's been really frustrating. Now, I tweeted this after the Pittsburgh game, Ed. I know you saw this. You thought this was funny. Um, Virginia Tech, great win against Pittsburgh. This is the most annoying team I've ever watched. That pretty much summarizes my thoughts on this season so far. Like, I, uh, you know, before we hit record tonight, you know, I was like, man, our, our team sucks. You responded with, well, don't really suck all the time, though. Like, high ceiling, low floor, which a thousand percent. Like, I don't know what team is going to show up on a game to game basis. So in and of itself, I mean, the season has been a total failure in that regard, right? I mean, you and I expected this to be a tournament team. It's not going to be that barring in, you know, an ACC championship again, which I just, with the way this team plays defense, I just don't, (laughs) I don't see that happening. Um, And so I'm just hoping that they make the NIT now, which is, quite the thing to reconcile considering like going into the year, I thought this could be like a seven or an eight seed. So that's kind of how far we've fallen. It's shocking. Um, It's been frustrating to watch. I thought it would get a lot better once Hunter Couture came back and it did get better, but it didn't get as good as I thought it would get, especially defensively. So it's just been a very, very frustrating team to watch. I don't know what team is going to show up game to game. I don't know what to expect. You know, I I see Tech beat UVA, and I'm thinking, okay, this is this is great. Let's let's get rolling here. And then they proceed to lose to Boston College again, right? They go up to South Bend, and they need 93 points to beat Notre Dame. 
which this is a terrible Notre Dame team. They're, they've won two conference games. They lose to Georgia. Then they subsequently go on the road, lose to Georgia Tech. This team has one road win this year. I don't get that either. Like this is not a particularly strong ACC and Tech can't win a road game. So this is just, uh, I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't know how it got this bad. I, I do and I don't. Like I know what I'm watching game to game, but it's just really frustrating. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, I tried to talk about this as much as I could by myself the other day before the pick game. Um, it's just been such a weird year, and I, I read this off to you before we click record, but if you go back and look at our schedule, after the seven-game losing streak, we have yeah. gone win, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. It's literally alternating for the last two months in ACC play, and it doesn't matter who they're playing. It, it, they can beat a good team, they beat Pitt, and they lose. You know, you beat Duke, then you lose. You beat UVA, then you lose. It, it hasn't mattered at all who they're playing. It's almost just a, it's just a coin flip every night, depending on the intensity you're going to get from Virginia Tech, particularly the defensive end, um, and just who's going to show up. There's a lot of issues that can be kind of dove into here, but the first one that I talked about a lot by myself last week, and I'd love to get your take on this, is mm-hmm. um, the backcourt depth being a huge issue for this team. Uh, it's yeah. something that I viewed going into the year as a perceived strength. Yep. Then it has ended up being a huge weakness um, through no fault of the staff or roster construction, in my opinion. But, you know, you lose Rodney Rice, you know, to two or three different injuries consecutively. Uh, a guy that clearly they were going to rely pretty heavily on considering he played 29 minutes against Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get, we'll get to the, um, We'll get to the game last night here in a second. He made a shocking recovery and played in that game. But, you know, you lose Rodney Rice to three straight injuries or two straight injuries, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And then Darius Maddox, you know, goes on his hiatus with, you know, dealing with the stuff he's dealing with. So that's two guys you probably expected to play, you know, 25 minutes at least combined, probably more than that. I guess that's probably really lowballing it, actually. Um, But probably score somewhere between 16 and 18 points combined between the two of them Mm -hmm. uh, as a starting guard and a backup guard. So, what was a perceived strength became a huge weakness for this team. I think it resulted in uh, some nights where the intensity wasn't there in terms of the backcourt guard defense, particularly from Sean Padula, who was just flat out exhausted. I don't blame him one bit, Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the roster construction and what some people have viewed as, you know, we should have gotten another guy out of the portal. I don't personally view it that way because then I don't think you have Darius Maddox and Rodney Rice in your roster. Right. Right. I would love, I would love to get your thoughts on the, lack of guard depth we've dealt with this season because for a long stretch there, the only three guys coming off the bench playing were a power forward, a center, and a small forward in John Camden. Right. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think if you look at it in a vacuum, it's really easy to look back hindsight 2020 and be like, yeah, Tech should have gotten somebody else in the portal. But then you see like how Virginia Tech lost their backcourt depth and you're like, okay, injury to Rodney, right? A couple of different ones, right? One in preseason camp and then one in the middle of the year and like the one game he played in. Um, and, and then on top of that, you have Maddox going on hiatus, dealing with a family issue, um, you know, and just not being not being a part of the team really for the second half of the season. So there's just you got those two things going right. And then you can say, yeah, Tech should have gotten another body in the portal. But I agree, like if that's the case, does Rodney Rice commit here? Right. Depending on timing, you know, after last season, does Rodney commit here? Does, you know, does Maddox stick around after last year and kind of is his breakout end of the year? Um, does he hit the portal like Naheem Aline? I mean, there, there's questions, right? Um, I, I just don't think it's as easy as being like, yeah, go to the portal, get another guy. It's great to say that now. The, the bigger thing for me is this has kind of been a trend now for a couple seasons with Mike Young, right, and his staff in terms of like just 
flat out not having another guy right behind the starting point guard. Um, last year, I know that they they had Padula, right, and he was able to supplement Storm Murphy, and that was really great. And he was able to come off the bench and, and especially as the year went on, play more major minutes. But, you know, if you think back to two years ago, they had nobody really behind Wabisabidi. I mean, he was playing a ton, and Tech fans were complaining. They were like, oh, my God, they, they need some help because BD wasn't scoring. It was like playing with one hand tied behind your back on offense because he just wasn't a scorer, a really good defender. So, I mean, this has kind of been a trend with Mike Young teams in terms of like just not having a second guy either developed or around. I pit, I pin less of it on him this year, but the one thing I will say is like, how much was Rodney going to play at the one, right? And like Maddox is pretty much a two. You have MJ Collins bringing the ball up some. You, we've seen Mutz bring the ball up some. We've seen Couture bring the ball up some. So there just really hasn't been a second primary ball handler behind Padula. And even though Tech has lost Rodney Rice and, and Darius Maddox for a significant portion of the schedule, it hurts the depth and it hurts like the amount of bodies and, and giving Padula a break. But I'm not sure it really completely solves the second primary ball handler, the second point guard, right? When Padula's on the bench, you're really just going to take him out of the game and just kind of manage it, you know, when he's out and having Max and Rice out of the lineup makes it harder to do that. But like, you still don't necessarily have that second point guard. And I feel like that has been an issue with Mike Young teams. It's been a trend, maybe not last year, but yeah, two years ago. And then of course this year. So that's the bigger thing for me. It's not as much, okay, we got to go to the portal and get a guy. It's like, they're having trouble developing consistent backcourt presence, I guess is, is the best way I can describe it, especially the point guard position. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I, I will counter that with, I think Rodney was going to play a lot of one this year. I think yeah. we saw it last night um, in particular against Miami. He played 11 minutes and I think probably seven of those minutes, maybe not quite seven, five or six of those minutes mm-hmm. were with Sean Padula on the bench and Rodney right. playing point guard. Um, I, I think the plan for what Rodney was supposed to be, and this is through no fault of his own as well, was they, you know, 15 to 20 minute a night guard off the bench that can shoot it and distribute. I think Mike Young talked about a lot in the preseason that Rodney came in and was a better playmaker than Mike Young even thought. I would assume by that he means point guard type playmaker. Uh, There was one example last night. I should have pulled the clip and put it on the YouTube, but Rodney beat his guy at the dribble, had his guy on his back left hip, forced – Mutz's guy to come forward to stop Rodney. He dumped it to Mutz, Mutz stepped at the kid, and kid got fouled going up to a dunk. So it was just an example of kind of what a player like Rodney Rice can provide. And I think in a lot of instances, you know, if you look at these losses throughout the season, the other, there aren't very many big losses. They're all close games. And I think having another guy like that, another very versatile, um, savvy, scoring, passing, distributing guard would have been really helpful in a lot of those losses. Um, but yeah, I, I have a hard time putting that too much on the staff. I think they thought they had a, a really, really good backcourt. You know, you have Darius Maddox and Champadula coming back in starting roles uh, after having really, really good years for that ACC championship team. You bring in a guy like Rodney Rice and you think, okay, this is a perceived strength. At least that's how I viewed it going into the year. And unfortunately, it just didn't play out that way. But yes, I think uh, holistically, you're right. Um, BD was interesting. Storm, you know, was interesting. Um, a backup point guard is something that this team has struggled to find. And yeah, you would think going into next year, um, you know, assuming no attrition that we're not expecting 
Um, but Padula, Rice, and uh, Brandon Reckstein are coming in. You have you know multiple guys who can handle the ball from a primary ball handling perspective. So hopefully that issue next year is solved. But you know who knows, man? Kids get hurt. Tech has uh, twelve losses on the year. Only two of them are by double digits. So I mean, all of these games have been close. Um, and, and the two that came by double digits were actually two in a row at Syracuse and at UVA during that losing streak when Hunter Couture was out injured. So. I mean, this I'll, is add, really- I'll add UVA was pretty was a closer game than it seemed. They they pulled away in the last like two minutes. On a yeah, no, for stuff. sure, for sure. Um, and then I mean, the the one other loss was a nine point loss to Miami on the road, and we know how that game went for thirty eight minutes. It was it was back and forth, and then the last like few minutes of the game was when Nigel Pocket like four threes in a row <laughs> he had all his threes in the second half. He had like five or six threes, all of them in the second half. Um, but, you know, Miami didn't really pull away until finally like, two or three minutes of that game. So, yeah, this has been a really frustrating year. And I, I think even if you look at the ACC standings, you know, Virginia Tech is the only team that has a losing record in conference play but has a winning record overall, which is one, a testament to how well this team performed in the non-conference schedule. Um, but number two, like how infuriating it's been throughout the conference schedule, like you mentioned, like alternating wins and losses and really having – you know, you, you spotted everybody the seven-game losing streak at the beginning of the conference schedule because you didn't have your best, you know, your, your best or most important player, I think, is, is the best way to put it. Your most important player on the floor in Hunter Couture. So it's been a really um, a really frustrating year. Tech put their backs, you know, the back was against the wall here down the stretch, and they had to they had to win some of these games that they just haven't been able to pull out here in the month of February. And the one thing I'll mention too, Ed, is we were talking about I think it was after I'm trying to think back, maybe after that Duke win, we were talking about, okay, if this team gets to 20 wins, right? Like, can this team make a tournament? You and I were thinking, okay, if tech gets 20 wins, that means they're, they're, you know, 10 and 10 in conference play 500 record in conference should have a couple of additional quad one wins that we hadn't talked about. Like this should be, this should be, or could be a tournament team if in that scenario. Well, it's funny because before that Miami loss last night, Tech did have still had an opportunity if they won out to, to get to 20 wins and 10 and 10 in conference play. And I, I was kicking it around on social media. Like even if Tech got to 20 and got to 10 and 10, right? Won the last four games, beat Miami, goes on the road, beats Duke, beats Louisville, beats Florida State. Like I still don't think this team makes the tournament because of the games they lost. And that was a conversation that you and I had, you know, after Tech upset Duke, it was, okay, if this team gets to 20, like, show me what the losses are, right? And, you know, Tech losing to Boston College twice, Tech losing to Georgia Tech on the road, right? Tech losing to Clemson twice, right? At the time, you know, when especially when Tech lost that first game to Clemson, we were thinking, okay, it's a Clemson team that's probably going to make the tournament. Now it's a team that's, you know, on the bubble, may make it, may not. They've had some pretty bad losses. Um, and, and you kind of look at the schedule now when you kind of take a step back and, there are a lot of a lot of wins against tournament teams, but there's a lot of losses against bad teams that aren't going to make the tournament, right? And that's why I think even if Virginia Tech got to 20, it's just the way that things have gone. I, I really think they would have needed some help there, Ed. They would have had to win a couple games in the conference tournament, and then they would have had to have you know some teams not steal bids and that sort of thing to really have a, have a chance to get in but this was a team that just didn't play well enough this year to get into the NCAA tournament flat out you know you can blame the seven game losing streak it's it's important it's you know people are going to be like ah well you know this team didn't play well enough anyway with Couture which I think is a fair point they they haven't since he's been back they haven't played well enough right but 
losing seven in a row to start conference play when you don't have your most important player on the floor is a really important part of the season, right? It's a big reason why Tech's in the position that they're in. Even if you win a couple of those games, you've got some more breathing room here down the stretch. You probably still have a chance to make the tournament, but it's tough. Now you're just hoping they make the NIT, which we'll see, <laughs> right? We'll see. We'll see how they play down the stretch. I don't know. It's going to be dicey, I think, even make the NIT at this point. Yeah, you got to go to at Cameron, at Louisville, and then home against Florida State. Louisville and Florida State are games that you should win, and if you win both of those, you're probably in the NIT, which right. is not where we want to be, but uh, we'll take it, I guess, at this point due to all the things we just talked about. So one other thing I want to talk about with the guys real quick is even in wins, um, front court turnovers have been a huge issue all year, and I've highlighted it a couple times on yeah. the pod. But um, even in the Pittsburgh win where you know you knock off at the time was the first place team in the ACC – yeah, the front court and Basili and Mutz combined for eight of the team's eleven turnovers. Yeah, then you go to Miami in that game, and it's more the same. Where those two, in particular, Basili and Mutz, are combining for eight turnovers again. So, you know, you can't have your two bigs combining for eight out of eleven and then eight out of twelve turnovers. Right, and if you, and if you look at the season as a whole, Mutz and Basili are. <laughs> Um, at the top of the board in, in terms of Virginia Tech turnovers, uh, Mots is averaging 2.9 turnovers a game, Padula averaging two himself, and then Grant Basili almost averaging two at 1.8. So, you know, Justin Mutz, while he's a great passer and has been a great passer and distributor in his career at Virginia Tech, yeah, his assist to turnover ratio this year is 4.9 assists to 2.9 turnovers. That's not, you can't have that. No. Um, you know, you can say all the things you want about his playmaking ability, but when you're turning it over at, essentially the same clip that you're getting assists, it's kind of a, it's kind of a wash. So front court turnovers have been a problem kind of all year long, which is a very odd thing to talk about, but I just wanted to highlight it really quick. And it's something to keep an eye on down the stretch as Virginia tech tries to make that NIT push. Um, so I, I talked about it a second ago, but at Cameron indoor on Saturday against Duke, um, you know, would love to knock them off on uh, in Cameron. That hasn't happened in a very long time for Virginia tech. And then they go, Two or no, then they go to Louisville. Yes, yeah. two straight road games where we just talked about Mike. You talked about how the road has not been kind, and then you finish up on Senior Day on uh, March fourth against Florida State, who has had a very very down year as well. So you got two bottom feeders to end it. Hopefully, you win both those games and get to a place where you can get an NIT invite and can get some of these guys more minutes. You know, particularly Rodney Rice, uh, Sean Padula, MJ Collins, all these guys that you know, could use more playing time in big high leverage situations. I say which one about the NIT, it is a tournament. Teams are trying to win it. Um, those those minutes do matter to guys who are trying to get their feet under them. Heading into next year where you expect those three in particular, Padula, MJ Collins, and Rodney Rice to be huge parts of the next of next year's team. So uh, that's kind of all I have for the men. I talked about the women a little bit on the pod by myself. Do you have any thoughts before I, I have some stuff written down, but let's, let's go straight into the girls here. Yeah, uh, they deserve it. They are currently ranked ninth in the country. They've got a big game coming up against North Carolina down in North Carolina. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and kick it to you first. I mean, Kitley's still balling, right? I mean, it's stat, status quo. Um, they've been, I mean, they've been really good, right? I mean, there've been a couple of tough losses along the way, but I think especially in the month of February, they're really starting to get their feet under them and kind of turn to the yeah. team. I think a lot of people expected it to be January was, I don't want to say Rocky. They're ninth in the country. They're very good. Um, but there were a couple losses in there in the month of January where you're like, all right, well, 
is this kind of the similar team that we just watched last year, right? The, the one that got upset in a 12-5 game, or is this going to be the team that they, takes the next step? And I think emphatically in the month of February, they've kind of turned a corner and they're really starting to get rolling, which is really encouraging. Um, this team, I think, has an extremely high ceiling. I think it's got an opportunity to end up finishing as the best team in, in school history on the women's side. And I think it should be considering kind of the seniors that, you know, are, are major contributors, right? Um, you got three starters that are seniors. Um, then you've got Georgia Amor, who's, you know, by my money, the best point guard in the ACC, right? So this team is loaded. Kenny Brooks is an outstanding coach. We obviously know what he's done on the recruiting trail and, and how he's kind of infused tech with his talent that they really just hadn't had before he got in there. This is a team that I think should make a deep run, especially with how they've been playing. I'm excited to watch the ACC tournament because I think Tech's got a great opportunity to win it. For all of the disappointment on the men's side and for kind of how the women's team looked in January, I was really, really hopeful that at least one of the teams would kind of turn the proverbial corner because I the women's team has never been in danger of like missing a tournament or anything like that. But I wanted to see them kind of take the next step and kind of emerge past the team they were last year. And I think we're really starting to see that now. Yeah, and I think it kind of you talked about it a little bit there, but that that starts and goes with Georgia Amore and how good she's been this year. Um, kind of as the you know heart and soul of this team. That's usually how a point guard, uh, how the point guard thing goes. We saw it with Justin Robinson a few years ago on the men's side. We're seeing it this year with Georgia. She's been phenomenal. Um, but yeah, Liz is a player of the year type candidate. Um, you've got some really, really good pieces around those two in particular. Counter Trailers had a really good year. Um, Taylor Soul is so much fun to watch play. Um, and Kayla King as a kind of a three and D type specialist. Uh, it, it's a really fun team to watch. I've, I've gone to two home games. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it it's, it's a fun brand of basketball to watch play being played and castle's done a really good job of filling up for the girls team this year and i would expect more of the same as they you know at this point in time are slated to host a you know a weekend of ncaa tournament basketball uh, in blacksburg which would be really really cool but a few things that i wanted to touch on really quick the graphics person for the girls team um has been has been working really really hard because every single time, it seems like, and particularly Liz and Georgia step on the floor, one of them is breaking some sort of record, setting some sort of career milestone that requires an Instagram graphic uh, and a ball to be presented before the next game. So I went to the Syracuse game with Billy Ray. I think Georgia got one ball. I forget what it was for. And Liz got three that night. Um, that was that was hysterical. The, the, the rest of the girls were on the sideline doing a juggling motion for Liz. Uh, you know, she should start juggling all the game balls that she gets. And at the last game, there was another ball presentation and there'll be a few more. So I went really quickly through the Instagram and just scrolled in the last couple weeks alone, Georgia hit a thousand career points. She hit her 200th career three pointer and her 400th career assist and was a co national player of the week two weeks ago. Liz had just most recently, I didn't go back far enough to get those three game balls that I saw in person, but just recently in the last week, Liz recorded her 50th double-double and was the National Player of the Week in, in, the, entire, in the entire country. Um, and this, all in all, you know, obviously it's a team game and the two of them would hate, you know, hate hearing all this about themselves. But in terms of the team game perspective, they beat Duke, who at the time was ranked number ninth, 61 to 45, which is the largest win over a top 10 team in program history. So I sent uh, the link to yep. the Virginia Tech women's um, record books in a group chat the other day. And just because it's it's hysterical, and I'll, I'll I'll tag it on our tweet when I tweet out this our, this uh, podcast. But 
Um, the era of which these players are all playing in right now in terms of Kenny Brooks and what he's got, you know, the trajectory he has this program on. If you scroll through the Virginia Tech women's basketball record books, it's Liz Kitley, it's Georgia Amore, it's Kayana Trailer, it's Kayla King. Um, it, it's hysterical. It, it's literally hysterical how awesome this era of basketball has been for the women's team at Virginia Tech. And, it, you know, complete credit to the players and Kenny Brooks for building what right now is currently the number ranked, number nine ranked program in the country and poised for a lot of success in March. So currently on ESPN's Bracketology on the women's side, Virginia Tech would be a three seed hosting the first two rounds of the tournament in Blacksburg. And in the Blacksburg region would be Ohio State as the six. Florida Gulf Coast again, who we ran into last year yeah. in the College Park region as the 11 seed, and Iona as the 14. Um, and in case you're curious more, the the two seed in that region would be Utah, or in that side of the bracket would be Utah, and the number one seed on that side of the bracket would be Indiana. So would be a very interesting draw for Virginia Tech. You know, you don't really want to run into South Carolina or LSU or uh, you know UConn or those type of teams, but uh, the Hokies have enough talent to hang with anybody in the country. So it'll it'll really come down to, you know, opportune moments and shots falling when they need to. But this team is is more than good enough to get to Dallas. They haven't lost in February yet. They're five and oh. They've won eleven of thirteen. They've only lost they only lost two games to start the new year. I mean, this team is rolling right now. Um, two pretty big games to close out the year. Um, Carolina <laughs> coming up on, on Thursday night, a uh, really important game in terms of the ACC and, and kind of trying to keep pace and, you know, trying to, you know, stay in contention for the regular season crown. It, it might be, you know, with only a couple of games left, you might be on the outside looking in there, but tech is the highest ranked team in the ACC right now. Um, they are the uh, third best team in terms of the ACC standings. Um, you got to beat North Carolina and Georgia Tech to give yourself a chance, right? An outside chance at the, at the regular season crown. But this is a team that has been outstanding, right, over the last, you know, three or four weeks. And you just kind of hope it, it continues into the ACC tournament. Don't have any slip-ups. If you lose in the conference championship game, that's not really that big of a deal. But at least make a, big, a, a deep run, right? You know, get to a semifinal, get to a conference championship, do it a lot of people are expecting you to do and then, you know, see what your draw is. Because like you mentioned, I I think, especially with Utah and and Indiana in your bracket, if you're avoiding a South Carolina or UConn, um, if you avoid even Notre Dame in your own bracket, considering how Notre Dame has looked this year, like, yes, you've, you've seen Notre Dame this year. Um, They're good. That was one of the games you lost, right? They're, they're tough. (laughs) They are very tough. They're well coached if you can avoid those teams in your bracket, like you can make a deep run. Like you mentioned, this is, it's not like this team is short on talent. They weren't even short on talent last year. They, they were a very good team last year. Um, they, they just weren't quite all the way to kind of reaching their peak, you know, and, and kind of reaching their ceiling. And I think they're really starting to get to that point now. I think just considering, you know, the seniority of, you know, the difference makers on this team, you just really hope that they're able to capitalize and, and make a deep run um, and, and kind of just see what, what they're able to do here um, down the stretch. So it'll be really interesting to see how they play in the conference tournament, see what their draws for the NCAAs. And, you know, just <laughs> you're not going to get in a 5-12 game this year, right? But try to avoid a, a first round upset, try to make a little bit of a run in the, in the NCAA tournament, because this is a team that could absolutely make a final four. I, I do believe that. Yeah, hang an ACC championship banner and uh, Elite Eight banner while you're at it. Do what, do what you got to do. Hang some stuff on the other side of Castle across from all the cool accolades the men's team was able to put up last year and a few years prior. 
Um, I will absolutely, if they make it to the uh, ACC championship game, jump in the car and make that six hour drive down to Greensboro and, and watch them there. And then I, I you know, intend to be in Blacksburg if they're able to, you know, wrap things up and, and secure that top four seed to host as well. So uh, I've really enjoyed watching the girls team. I hope they can close out two and zero. and, you know, they got an outside shot at the regular season title. I know it's somewhat of a long shot, but yeah, it'd yeah. be pretty cool. Uh, a quick around the ACC update and then we'll wrap things up. But uh, UVA is down 11 to Boston College right now with 10 minutes to go. Just goes to show, Hokie fans, for everyone who got upset about losing to Boston College, they've got Division One players too, in particular Quentin Post. So um, yep. they, they can jump up and bite people. They're actually creeping up on a better record than we have. Um, but Boston College is currently beating UVA by double digits. We'll see how the rest of that game goes. And, you know, real quick, I saw a tweet about this earlier, and it was like, you know <laughs> – some highly ranked seed is just sitting out there waiting to beat UVA in the second round of the NCAA tournament because <laughs> in their last three games, they're currently down double digits to Boston College. They only beat Notre Dame by two, and they only beat Louisville by three. And both those other two games, they were losing for a significant chunk. So um, the what are they currently? The number six-ranked Cavaliers are more than vulnerable. So we'll see how things go for them. Uh, as they as they you know go into March, which is at this point is an annual routine for Tony Bennett. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on with that team. But yeah, a loss to Boston College would be kind of funny. They're and they're a three seed, like in in Lenardi. I mean, I look at Lenardi's bracket. They're a three seed. I think when they're at their best, they're a team that can make a pretty deep run. But they're doing they're playing this brand of basketball in the month of February where they are literally falling behind every team they play, and then like trying to do this thing where they make up a lot of ground in the second half and ultimately win the game. Can't do that in March against good competition with like interesting players who had a bunch of threes and like weird matchups. You can't do that in March, right? So um, this is a a good offensive team that Tony Bennett has. That's uh, I mean this with all due respect to Tony Bennett. That's rare that he has that, right? He's he's got another yeah. one of those like years where he's got a good offensive team. The really the the best offensive team in my opinion they've had since their championship year. But they are kind of playing with their food a little bit here in the in the latter half of conference play. If they don't get that together, it could be an early exit. Yeah, we'll, we'll end the podcast with this hysterical and depressing joke, but uh, UVA has four losses on the year. Yeah, 21 and four. Their losses are to number five ranked Houston, number 22 at the time. These are at the time they lost the right. game. Number five ranked Houston, number 22 Miami, who we know is significantly better than 22. Absolutely. They lost to Pitt, who has continued on the season to be currently – you know, right outside of first place, a half game out of first place in the ACC. So a tournament team and Virginia Tech, who will be playing in the NIT most likely. So it just shows you the high ceiling, low floor ability of Virginia Tech this year and what was a very frustrating year. But we got three more to go, plus an ACC tournament and hopefully a uh, um, an NIT run as well. And as, of course, as we're talking about UVA, I get a text from John Yetzi. UVA is the worst late February top six team in the history of college basketball. That seems Correct. like a that seems like a stat that was tailor made or uh, cherry picked, but I think John's probably onto something there. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, the Hokie women play tomorrow Thursday night against uh, UNC in what should be a really good game on the road. Hopefully, they can take care of business there and wrap up that you know top four seed and are able to host two games in Blacksburg that. I hope all fans uh, make an attempt to attend because it should be really fun. But um, that's going to be it for the Hokie Hoops tonight. We'll record again probably sometime after the weekend, after Virginia Tech men play Duke and the women wrap up their season. Um, But that's all I got, Mike. Go ahead and sign us out. Go Hokies.
down to wander, tripping in the sand. We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. And all that she said is, Oh, I know just what you're thinking. to you and say